Breaking through with Olam. Tank fly, boss walk, jam, nitty gritty. You're listening to the boy from the big bad city. This is jam, jam hot. Jam, jam, this is jam, jam hot. Hi, I'm Olam and welcome along to this episode of my podcast. Over the last few episodes, I've interviewed a professional photographer, a breaking artist hoping to hold his own club night, and two DJ producers who have formed a duo and are destined to have great success as group mode. As part of my goals for 2019, I would like to perform at a major UK festival and showcase my skills as a tech house DJ producer. For this reason, today's guest is Molly McQueen, a highly experienced and successful events manager and founder of the Midnight Bakery. Molly also happens to be the creator and driving force behind the Cirque de la Quirk stage at the Isle of Wight Festival. So, hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to subscribe and leave comments. So Molly, welcome and thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Could you perhaps tell me a little bit about your backstory leading up to the creation of the Midnight Bakery? When I was two. um, (laughs) No, so I was a musician um, from 16 years old, professional musician from 16 years old till I was about 27. And then something happened when I suddenly realized that the one thing that I thought I would do because that's I'd never thought about doing anything else wasn't making me happy and so I went and got inverted commas a real job and uh, and that just happened to be doing some summer work for the Isle of Wight festival and that's how I started working in the office that run the Isle of Wight festival they're a music agency and uh, and it was just summer work, you know, that I think they felt a bit sorry for me because I was <laughs> very lost, to say the least. Had no qualifications, left school at 16. Um, and uh, and so I did that, you know, I had to make some cash in hand and blah, blah, blah. And as I was doing that, I started getting given more work, but more of the agency stuff, you know, going from not knowing what CC'd means in an email to actually becoming uh, an assistant agent. But something happened when I wasn't using any of my creativity anymore and I was getting very restless and it was great to be validated um, by doing a job that you put work into and see the results instead of putting all the work into it, like with music, you put all your all the work, blood, sweat and tears into it and you can't, uh, and you can't see, physically see the results of it, you could be right next to making it big or you could be 10 million miles away so it was really nice to see like oh look if I do this I get rewards (laughs) so that was great but no creativity and so while I was working there I started planning my birthday party and that birthday party was the first search of the quirk um Midnight Bakery didn't exist at that point because it was never a planned company. It was just an idea for a party filled with people who care about people and who are talented and like-minded. And I, uh, I just became addicted to it. So. Where, where did the, the musician part of it come into? Because I, th- I think some people listening to this perhaps don't know that you were in quite a, s- <laughs> a semi successful <laughs> so group successful. Is it, was it the faders was it? yeah ironic hey 
what a stupid name. I did say at the time, don't like, no, not many, you know, your average show blogs don't know that the faders are, you know, the slidey little things on a mixing desk that fade the music in and out. I was like, no one really knows that unless you're a musician. So or a DJ us, like I am. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a musician. Yeah, that is a musician. But to everybody else, like calling yourself the faders is literally asking to be punched in the face. Like, why would you call yourself that when you already know that you're going to face quite a tough, uh, a tough career and tough uh, sort of musical challenge being a f all female? slightly grumpy looking attitude-y teenage girl band uh, when the only people who buy those records are girls but if the girls don't like you then no one will buy that. <laughs> was this about the time of the Spice Girls then or? No, 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 this was around Busted time so Busted oh, had just broken awesome. up so I mean I was 16, oh god here we go, right, I was 16, so it was 2004 five, two thousand four five. In between Busted and McFly, basically. Um, but yeah, right, okay, so the music in the events thing didn't really at like on paper it doesn't make any sense because I had no interest in stressing out and having my head in a spreadsheet so much so that I am a spreadsheet and you know organizing four million people and doing all the things that I'd never thought about doing when you're a musician you know you can't remember the last time you had to you know type something you know you just kind of sit there and do your music which is great but now looking at it there is a link to it it's events but i don't do just the sort of back end like admin -y side it's, it's the creativity and the recognition of other people's creativity which really drove me to want to do that yeah. i wanted to create events that were good enough and creative enough that they weren't just there because they want to sell tickets and make money. It was there to create a platform for very talented individuals to perform at. Was it, was it being a, a professional musician that led you to think about doing events or, you know, did, has this all happened sort of, you know, a bit out of sequence? I mean, it would be weirder if I suddenly went from, you know, teenage pop band to vet or something. Um, but I think, you know, events are entertainment. Um, and I <laughs> liked going out. Like, like, let's not put it in the past. Like going out, love going to events, music, gigs, like comedy, you know, plays, cinema. It's all entertainment. So I suppose if you look at it like that, yeah, it's connected, but the organization and the planning and the, the, <laughs> the four million tabs open and the seven spreadsheets and the budgeting and all the stuff, all the kind of what I would see as the more academic maybe side of it, I never ever saw myself doing something like that, you know, but I think I've got this kind of mixture of creative and ADD I think actually uh, <laughs> which has led thing. me to this no it's it's been the best way to utilize it that's for sure um, but you know being a, a kind of poor musician helped with budgeting <laughs> <laughs> okay.
definitely helped me budget a lot. Um, and, you know, being sort of mouthy and lead singer-esque uh, helped with the kind of uh, bossing people around side of things. Um, and the creativity helped make the events not, you know, it wasn't and isn't money driven, it's, it's creatively driven. You know, like I, it all started with the creative vision and the amazingly talented people that were just around me, like everywhere. And I was like, hang on a minute, how, how are these people struggling? And yet somebody, you know, who hasn't dedicated every single bit of their life, blood, sweat and tears is getting paid minimum wage to, do something you know they should be getting at least that you know like it's the first thing to go when there's no money the arts go and the arts are the thing that keeps us all alive so that's when I was like huh we should do something about this so it does make sense the creative links with the creative and everything else in between has just been a massive blag I mean <clears throat> I know exactly what I'm doing I'm, I'm seeing a teenage girl Right, essentially right now, a teen. Thanks, I look good for my age. Right? <laughs> so, you're a teenage girl that's got off her arse and decided that you are going to do this sort of thing. I mean, who or what was instrumental in the early days for your success? I mean, with the music, it, I was 16, I didn't do A levels, I went and got a job. I worked in shops and, you know, wanted to do music and it just happened. I just did that. I just did it. I didn't think about anything else. That was it. Um, but this, when it came to events, I think it was realizing that as much, as many, as many positives that I got out of working in an office and doing, you know, spreadsheets and ticket sales, and it was still to do with music, but realizing that oh my God, like I, I need to do something creative. Like I need to do something. And it, uh, it just, it, something just flicks. I was like, I can't do this every day, do the nine to five. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. It just wasn't me. And I was kind of enjoying it, but also kind of struggling with that idea of going to work and, you know, turning up in my galaxy leggings and everyone thinking I'm mad and I'm going, what? This is me like, chill. <laughs> you know, just going, this doesn't belong to me. How can I kind of mix the two? And so I started doing it after work and, and it turns out that somehow that, that's kind of worked, but I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't have anyone telling me anything. It was like, just this gut feeling and it was bizarre because I was a musician for 13 years. I had everybody telling me, like, you know, I got signed three times, for God's sake, to Sony, Polydor Universal, EMI, you know, I had all of these people saying, you can write a song, you've got the look, you've got the voice, you've got this, and people literally giving me the platforms to do that. And there was just something missing. And I thought it was because I was broken and I didn't have the drive and I wasn't good enough and I was never gonna make it. And I, I, I believed that of myself for many years. Do you think years. you were proving something to yourself? I, I, I felt like, I, yeah, I was, I was proving to everyone 
that I wasn't this failure that I believed I was and, and was told that I was. And things I proved it, and that still didn't change anything. You know, I got, did Top of the Pops, I toured the world, I did all of that. Really, when that came into play, yeah. when I really thought about it, and, and I had, uh, my friend asked me like, are you happy doing what you're doing? I was like, of course I'm happy. I was like, no, 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 think about what I just asked you. And I thought about it and I suddenly realized after 12 years of doing this, I, I was so unhappy with what I was doing. The thing that I loved the most had turned into like this awful thing. Like I hadn't got out what I, I didn't realize I was trying to prove anything. I, I just wanted people to go, oh, you're not what we thought you were, you know? And uh, and I was just kind of lost. So when this flick switch had flicked uh, with the events, it was the first time I got what everyone was going on about. Yeah, I had no reason to believe that I could run an event or it do well. Which which I want to come on to now. The scale of what you do mm. at the Isle of Wight Festival now with a Cirque de la Quirk is it's <coughs> amazing, right? I, I've been there and you know you and I are good friends who have been there three times and it is just the most impressive stage <laughs> that at the Isle of Wight because of the sheer vibe and electric atmosphere that this you know that this gives out but I know I know what you do now but the early days I mean what was your first event like so the first event was after this, the switch flicked in my brain, which nobody saw coming, like, you know, if anything, you had to kind of kick me to do things because I didn't believe in myself. And then all of a sudden I was addicted to working on it all the time, was my birthday. And it was my birthday party. And I thought, you know what, that's a really good excuse to make people come to the thing I'm planning. <laughs> and it worked quite well. And uh, that was the first event that I did, and it was in Camden. And the venue's changed names many times. It's opposite Camden Station. And that first event, I had no budget. I had no investors. I had no event experience at all. I just had this passion that when I spoke to people I'd never met before, people even over the internet, they could tell from the way I was typing and talking about what I wanted to do. I was very honest from the beginning, I don't have much money, but I've got this and I've got this vision that if we pull together on this, I want it to be so good that people take us seriously, which means that we will then get paid for what we're doing and then you'll get paid. And then, then we do it even better because we'll have budget. And then we go, look, take us seriously. And we'll keep doing that until we get to the point where we're like, this is what you deserve for how hard you work and how incredibly talented you are. And it's just something that like completely over, like just took me over. Like I, I, I've never felt like, I can't explain it. I was like addicted to it. I couldn't stop thinking, talking, everything. This drive came out of nowhere. For someone who was like 28 years old, always felt that they were like useless at everything and like had all of the tools, but it was just, you know, she has the potential to do really well, you know, parents meetings. She has the potential to do, uh, she has all of the record deals, but she's not quite done it because I just didn't have that thing. And then bam, and that's what drove it. And that first event 
was mad. I didn't really tell anyone what I was doing. I, instead of going out all the time, which I did a lot, because I was unhappy in my job and my life and all, all of those things, uh, I stayed in and I used the money that I would go out on to buy things from China on eBay and get them all delivered to the office. Everyone thought I was mad. And I would sit on my bed and have be covered in super glue and glitter and whatever. And I just sourced all these things for this circus event, talked to everyone. I, you know, I was, I was working 8.30 till 6.30 in the office, then going home and then working till five in the morning and then doing the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day. And there was just something there. I just had this vision. And for the first time I wasn't like, but what if it goes wrong? I was like, it, that, that didn't even happen. I just did it, I just did it and it had to happen. So when it, when it did, there was 150 people there, about 60 of them had never met me before. They weren't there for my birthday. They were there because I'd got in touch with every publication, every ticket seller. I'd managed to get sponsored by Sailor Jerry's for the first ever, ever event, the Molitov cocktail. Is that what it was called? Yeah, the Molitov cocktail, that's what I called it, with edible glitter and all of the rum and, you know, had all these performers who were like 400 pounds, you know, to perform for 10 minutes were coming and doing it for free because they could see that I was, I, I meant business. I, I was serious about putting everything and that's your drive. to that. And that's, that's the what drive, it was. the hustle, yeah, and you I, brought all it all in. Because yeah, we all deserve it, you know. Like like damn straight. And and they believed in me, and I believed in them, and it was so mutual that, you know, that that first event should have cost so much money. But they all did it because they believed in me and they've been with me ever since. And each year and each event that I do with them, I'll get them more money or a better deal or something. And we're just this big sort of family because we're all in it together for the yeah. first time. It sounds so bloody hippie, doesn't no, it? No, it doesn't. But it's, it's we're nice in it together. No, like, it's cool. You know, power in numbers and doing coming together for the greater good it's much more powerful if you all believe in it yeah. you know everyone wins at the end of the day if you're fighting against something then it just doesn't work awesome so what we're going to do is have a quick rosé break because this interview is sponsored by some sort of rosé that molly <laughs> decided to bring into the interview molly in molly wine molly wine uh we're just going to have a quick break while you're listening to a track by Dr. Boom, Matt Enos and Enrique Negron called Venga.
You can follow Olam on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and listen on SoundCloud, Mixcloud, and iTunes. So, hope you enjoy that track. So, uh, what does a typical day look like for Molly McQueen? If you can answer that while you're laughing. Oh my goodness. A typical day for Molly McQueen. Wow. Well, maybe let's just start with the last week. <laughs> That's probably an easier way to break it down. So in the last week, I have done a an outdoor Christmas, not Christmas, winter venue refurb at a fairly well-known venue in Brixton. I have done social media for a, a rum, a pirate rum. I have booked line-up for a festival that lasts three weeks that brings 60 tribes from around the world together in Panama. Um, I That's start, tribal gathering, yeah? Yeah, tribal gathering. Oh, it's incredible, like absolutely amazing. Um, obviously, I've got Isle of Wight thoughts running through my head. Um, well, so I do. Oh, last night, I, <laughs> this is really weird. Last night, I was running a, a virtual reality station at the Mother and Baby Magazine Awards, as you do. And last week, I was dressed up um, as a clown at a fun fair <laughs> looking after a kid's area. You know, I literally have fingers in all of the pies, like too many pies. Like that's sometimes my problem is too many pies. But as a freelancer, you've got you to do what you've got to do. So um, do you think that's necessary to get ahead and just, you know, the, the brand that is you and the Midnight Bakery, it, do you need to get out there and just look at yes. different angles? Yes, of course. Of course you need to get out there. I mean, it's tough because when I started uh, what is now the Midnight Bakery, you know, that first event I was talking about, the second event I ever did was a day stage takeover at the Isle of Wight Festival. I mean, that's a massive step, step up. Then the fourth event I ever did was a whole three and a half days at the Isle of Wight Festival. You know, it was just mad. It just kind of happened to me and I had a full-time job at the same time. So last year, in April, I quit my agency job because I was working 20 hour days for about three years straight. And I don't think that's actually, you know, sustainable, obviously. I, you know, Molly Machine is what they started calling me, which is not, not as good as McQueen. Um, so I quit my job and that, even though it made me happier, meant that I had to take on work that I didn't even know how to type into Google. Like, how do you type into Google running like events kind of like circus stuff with fairies like that i had no qualifications i'd never had an experience i just had experience in what i'd done already which i didn't you know i didn't even know what it was called i didn't know the terms for artist liaison or production assistant or you know i didn't know any of that i was just doing it so finding work i've it's been kind of all over the place but it every day is completely different like completely different it couldn't be more mad but yes you need that to live off for sure for sure but like it can also get in the way of focusing on you know like honing it in a little bit and maybe having two or three parties instead of 12 so it's uh it's it's something that i'm kind of dealing with at the moment and figuring out what the next step is. You uh, 
you've got this inherent drive you know you know obviously I know you as a mate and also I, I see see that passion that you have in yourself how the hell does somebody go from having a 200 or so people event in Camden to running one of the most charismatic stages at the Isle of Wight how the hell did you do it I mean I was I think part of it was being given uh, an opportunity to show what I could do um, but I didn't know if I could do it I mean that was the first year but it was just that there, there was no there was no oh I don't know if we can do this like it, I just we just did it I just had this I don't, I, I don't even know how to explain it it's just like I just saw it and I thought what would I want? I mean, I've been to enough parties, it had to pay off in some respect, right? Otherwise, I was just that party person. So I just thought, like, every time I went to an event, I'd sit down on a sofa and you're a bit tired from dancing and you'd look up and I'd be like, God, if this was my event, I'd look up and there'd be something to look at on the ceiling, like some sort of visual or a performer or something, something would happen. And I was like, and I kept saying that to my partner at the time. I kept going like, God, if we'd done this, wouldn't like, wouldn't you just like do that? And I was like, maybe we should just do that. So I just basically created the party that I would want to go to, but not just the party, but with the people and the, the fun and so just like thinking about that it just kind of did it itself I mean I say that obviously I worked really hard but it didn't feel like that it was like do you think that's the key then to host a, a festival or event that you would want to go to yourself oh I mean they say you know write what you know you know like talk about what you know like there's no point blagging it you know you've got to if you believe in what you're saying and doing, then people will believe you because that's how it should work, you know? Like, and so if you are creating something that you would want to go to, then surely other people would want to as well because like, that's, that's what you would want to put into it, you know? Yeah. If you're trying to do it because, oh, that will make like X amount of money on those tickets and blah, 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 well let's charge them this much extra if they haven't done this by this certain time like obviously you need to make some money out of it for a living <laughs> she says not making money out of it for a living um, but you know that would be nice but it was just it wasn't about that it was just like I would want this and I would want that and then talking to all these other like-minded people and being like yeah would you want that and they'd be like yeah but let's do that but with bells on it and you'd be like yeah oh my god let's do that and kind of feeding off that energy and getting so excited that that is that is your drive like the energy is your drive that's what pushes you through like and it doesn't even feel like pushing through it's just so exciting like so exciting and seeing other people like and how it's really overwhelming like seeing how something that you've put so much energy into has genuinely like changed or helped or you know made a positive impact in somebody else's lives yeah. and that 
that is, is tenfold. It's like being oh. Mario and getting the mushroom and growing <sighs> ten times bigger, and then you get the star, which makes you invisible. Like that's what that feels like. Well, Seeing is... people just so happy because you're putting the love and care into it that they put into what they're doing and that is just that's what makes me tick like completely we're gonna expand on that quite shortly actually uh tell me about the Cirque de la Quirk stage what is it about well it's in embracing your quirks you know like where's your quirk at Everything goes off there. I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely. All the time. Yeah, yeah, just it's. You can't be bored. Like you can't be bored. Like there's nothing worse than standing around. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've. It's not like just my idea. It's it, it. It's. It stemmed. The germ was my idea, and then I'm like ranting about molly logging. Uh, <laughs> molly logging about all these different ideas and then the people I'm talking to are going oh my god and then it becomes theirs as well you know we, we've created some really odd things but it's only odd to the people who wouldn't get it but the people who do go oh I'm so in like yeah, yeah. seeing these full grown six foot six like you know, army boys, like, getting in the glitter shower, you know, being like, oh, I love Search of the Quirk. Like, it's I've brilliant. I've just got the most mental it. pictures from your stage. Uh, it's so much fun. You can't, you can't be grumpy there. No. There's just too much, too much to capture. And one lasting memory that I have is sock wrestling. Oh, Where the great. fuck did that come from? Oh. It's just such an awesome concept and everybody gets involved. What I love about the sock wrestling so Jay, Jay Willis came up with sock wrestling before any of the sort of, you know, poor man's versions uh, came up with sock wrestling. He's an actual martial arts, like, G. Do you know what I mean? Like, he is undefeated in many martial arts. So he, he takes it very seriously. And it is serious. It sounds really silly, but it's yeah. serious. There's proper you know, referees, there's like proper rules, you know, people, like, the girls are worse than the guys, like, they really go so for it. So bloody competitive. It's so, it, it, it is, it's, it's like, it's a sport almost, you know, he's taken it to that level, but it's just got this great vibe of bringing everyone together. I remember looking around, seeing, like four-year-olds sitting on the edge of the arena, like looking at yeah. it, and then you know, seventy-year-old grannies like rolling up their sleeves, like ready to fight, you know, Thelma from around the corner. Yeah. You know, it was just so great. But it's all, it's all fun, but it's still got that mm, finder, which is kind of what Search of the Quirk is. It's all fun, but we're not. We're not, you know, candy floss and glitter. We're oomphy wow. fun. It's you know, we're proper, like serious parts. Proper hardcore, Molly. I mean, everything <laughs> you do is to the max. And, you know, it's not a half-hearted approach either. So that's awesome. Uh, we're going to just take another quick break here while you're listening to Scott Little and a song called Understandable. One, two. 
It's probably relevant at this time to uh, just give you a little bit more of a backstory on how uh, Molly and I are friends. Uh, <laughs> Molly actually, uh, a year and a half ago, maybe, yeah, approximately a year and a half ago, arranged for me to propose to my now fiance Kate on a stage. I, I'm astounded, I still am today, that something so simple as doing a, uh, well not simple, uh, as doing a marriage proposal on your stage attracted the attention of Sky Arts, you know, and we, we were interviewed by a, a now current Radio 1 presenter and this, you know, if this isn't enough, the whole Ricky Wilson and Edith Bowman involved, I just, what, apart from being eternally bloody grateful, Molly, <laughs> yeah. 
in the midst of running such a stressful, what I can only imagine is a stressful time at the Isle of Wight Festival, what possessed you <laughs> to go that extra mile and do something for somebody you didn't know? So, as I think you've probably all picked on uh, up on before from me talking, is that like I really care about people and love and us all kind of looking out for each other you know I, I really it means a lot to me and everything that I put into such a quote that year which I didn't know at the time was the year that you had your first kiss with Kate I didn't know that at the time but that year for me was a huge turning point in my life like I looked out and saw all these people raving their tits off basically and I'm going oh my God, I, I did that. You know, it was a huge thing. It was a lot of love in the room. And that was, that was when you had your first kiss. And then to get a message out of the blue into my Facebook Cirque de la Quirk inbox, just saying, I just wanted to say like, what a great year, blah, blah, blah. Had my first kiss uh, with my now girlfriend. And I'm thinking next year about proposing to her. I mean, Oh, I've got it again now. <laughs> I got hairs went up on my arms. I got goose pimples, and I was like, "That's so cool that happened on stage." And I love the fact that he's gone out of his way to tell me that that happened. And it wasn't just like, "Oh, we just happened to be there. We had a kiss." Like you were like, "We kept trying to go to the bands that we paid to go and see, yeah. but we kept coming back." And that to me was just like, just amazing. Like to hear that, and you told me that. And then I'm like, well, are you joking? Like, you, you're going to propose to her? Yeah. Like, well, obviously I want to get involved. Like, it, it like, wasn't even romantic music, Molly. It was the fucking rump steppers. It yeah, was proper it's hardcore. Like proper, <laughs> proper bloody drum and bass to, like, you know, all of the lasers. And, like, you know, it wasn't romantic at all. I mean, our stage is not... No. It's romantic in one sense, but yeah, maybe not, not, your, not your typical <laughs> romance, you know, it's not a rom-com. Um, but when you told me that, I was like, I, I don't think, you, you didn't ask me to do anything, I just jumped on you, yeah, just being yeah, like, I, right, I think you planned it all and what I can sort we of, do? And, I was a passenger. And literally met you somewhere, it was in Godalming, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Met you. She thought that you were at, I think you were at work, but you had like a couple of hours off in the day. I was bang in the middle of trying to organize all of the things. And I, but that, that, you know what? I probably haven't told you this, but that whole experience and being involved with that really like leveled my head out. That was like, oh my God, like this is a bit of good that I can really focus on and I really want to be part of and you know it's a really nice story and you know we, we did proper discussing as well we made sure that like that we came storyboarded up with the kind of, it, yeah, we it storyboarded it we had a whole mental. sketch going on and like you know asking making sure that she wasn't just going to literally die in a heap on the stage you know like we knew that she was going to be embarrassed a little bit but it wasn't going to be like I hate you like no <laughs> I didn't and, think that you know, through probably yeah but it's you know it was just it was such an amazing thing to be part of and I just love that you would 
doing that, you know, and I just like, I, I don't know, it's just had, it had to happen, like, it had to happen, like, I just wanted to be part of it, and then there's just me sort of sobbing in the background like some weirdo, and like, <laughs> like I, Kate's just like, who the hell, what is I was going on? so blown away by... It was so great. You and your drive, you know, you as an individual, okay, that I spoke to in February, and then there's my Cirque de la Quirk family. Oh. Everybody brought their A game. I have, oh, you know, totally. as, as bringing a festival together, and this is this is essentially what I wanted to talk to you is is it's the drive that you put into having a festival, actually being at that festival, and what the festival gives back. You know, it's it's that feeling that that stage is carried with you. You know, you move on, and but your memories are still there, and it's. You know, what what I'm trying to get is anybody that's thinking of doing a festival has to think beyond that day, that week. Oh, yeah. And they've got to think, so what is that festival going to do for the people that come? You oh, know, that's, what are they going to take home? That is pretty much purely what I think about. Is like, what would I want? What would they want like how can we make that something that will wow that person like you know like I want people to feel at home yeah. at Cirque de la Quirk and it's so funny the pictures you literally have like toddlers to like people with Zimmer frames like literally yeah, yeah. like and everything in between and there's a bit of something for everyone there and I just want people for once you know to have that bit of God, can we just like just have a nice time for a bit before we have to go back to all the rest of the crap that we have to deal with? Yeah. And like, and it's so important, but every like, it's really contagious, you know. Like, everyone kind of knows that yeah. that's what there is, and like, you're like, oh, we're allowed to like really just have a laugh and like be all right and feel safe, yeah. you know. And that's my life. That's all I've ever wanted is to have a laugh, feel loved, and feel safe yeah. while doing it well and that's what everyone kind of turns but I think that's what separates uh, being in a club environment to being at a festival it's that it's that atmosphere it's the people coming together it's not false yeah in fact it's not constrained to being in it is (laughs) it's the atmosphere that just transcends being in a place you know it's quite helpful the fact that you've got the biggest fucking oak tree in the whole of the Isle of Wight. Helpful and also annoying because it's right in front of the stage so you can just walk past the area. But on a hot day, it gives much needed (laughs) shade. Much shade, much shade. So festivals create a great environment for performers to play. Yeah. So what I want to understand, particularly from you now that you're quite established, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're a DJ, they're a producer, they're a performer, or they're actually involved in the creative arts, what... What could they do, perhaps, to get the uh, attention of the Midnight Bakery? I mean, just really believe in what you're doing. You know, you're not there because you want to be, like, just the next, like, blah, 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 DJ. Like, you're doing it because you love music. Or you just, like, passion. Like, pure passion. And that can come in so many different forms. You know, we don't, like... We're so quirky that like it would be something that would be quite hard to probably kind of 
be seen amongst everybody else but you can just see it when someone really cares about what they're doing and that's what we're about and it doesn't matter if that's being a DJ being a performer or just being at a festival or being with your friends or proposing to your girlfriend like you know, now. yeah yeah but proposing to your girlfriend yes. to become your fiance but it doesn't matter but if you are believing in it and there's passion behind it that is what we're made of you know like that's the thing that is so, so... I guess anybody aspiring to to be in that sort of environment needs to have passion fight yeah be, and have be, that fight in them and find yeah fight like you know some of the the people who have done so well in life like creatively you know some of the musicians they're not necessarily the best musicians but you can just see like they've just got that thing you know yeah. that thing where they're like i don't give a crap if you don't like it I love it and that gives them character and just keep going with it you know like it's uh it's mad I remember my dad always saying to me just write keep writing just keep writing music keep writing music but I never started as a writer I didn't want to be a writer I just wanted no. to be a singer and he kept saying just keep writing just keep writing and all of it just felt like oh like I want to do this but now it makes sense yeah. like you shouldn't be trying to want to do something you just are doing it you know so a bit of a selfish question on my part <laughs> in your opinion and you know knowing the sort of environment that i'm you know looking to go into what what would you say are the uh, best festivals for a dj like me starting out to target is you know is there a go-to place for for me to express my interest i mean to me that's that's quite difficult because a lot of the bookers for festivals um kind of book whoever's being booked for festivals if so to speak but i must say the first one that when you asked me that that came to mind was boomtown which sounds really silly because it's pretty much other than Glastonbury uh, the biggest festival in the UK yeah. and personally I think it's including Glastonbury the best festival in oh, the it UK. was right on my doorstep when it was in Winchester I it's, remember you going it's great it's really great it, it it has something for everyone and there's a real sort of got some friends that are you know come together as a duo that are hoping to play Boomtown I mean they their, their music, they're, they're known as Groove Mode. They, they, they're solely targeting Boomtown because mm. of its sheer size and you know the sort of uh, people it pulls in. Reputation, but I, as I, well. You know, I, am I ready to be targeting Boomtown, or is there a, a lead-up? Absolutely. Set the thing is, the thing is, like Boomtown, it's such a huge festival that you know if you got a set on one of you know the stages within one of the areas of the town you know it's not necessarily that all of a sudden people are gonna like discover you you know it's it's not about that but it's being part of a festival where the people that have seen you they'll 
the ones that stay there there's so much going on that the ones that stay there and are watching you yeah could be watching 400 other things but they're with you they'll be like loyal to what you're doing instead of paying some crappy sponsored stage at another festival as big but the people watching you are there because you know like so and so hasn't gone on the main stage yet and they just were floating by yeah. like these people have you, you, there's no need to stick around at any stage at Boomtown if you're not enjoying it because there's literally 400 other places and things you could be doing. So if they're watching you, you know they're into it. Right. And that, I feel, is quality, not quantity. And uh, and they listen. Like They're still one of the festivals who actually care about music, like the yeah. bookers care about music. <laughs> I'm just going to play out this interview with a track by Richard Wett called Release Me. So thanks for listening to Breaking Through with Olin and catch you next time.
You can follow Olam on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and listen on SoundCloud, Mixcloud and iTunes. Tune in for more mixes, playlists, podcasts and this eagerly awaited track. Thank you.